the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. Amen? Wow, that was kind of, for those guests here today, they're probably saying, they really don't believe that, do they? So the grave is empty and the tomb is, a tomb is the throne is occupied, excuse me. The tomb is empty and the throne is occupied, is what I meant to say, hallelujah? Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Interesting, we're preaching on getting out of the graveyard today. Ephesians chapter 2 is a phenomenal text. And Warren Wiersbe, the great theologian, said that the book of Ephesians would be subtitled as Our Riches and Responsibility in Christ Jesus. The first three chapters of the book of, uh, of Ephesians is, talks about our riches in Christ, and the last three chapters talk about our responsibility as Christ's followers. I want us to read uh, 10 verses of Scripture. I'm reading the New American Standard version of God's Word. The ESV will be close in that translation as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead to your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power, of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even at the rest. Verse 4, but God. Now, that's the transition verse right there. We'll look at that more in depth in just a moment. If I was you, I would circle the two words, but God. It's but's a conjunction word. It's a transition of this entire passion, but God, passage, and but God being rich and mercy. Thank you, Jesus. But because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead to our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that, that's another phrase you need to underscore that. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Now, most of us like to leave it there. They like to stop there because verse 10 is the application or the, the motivation for the Christ follower. Look what it says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not saved by works, we are saved from works by faith in Christ Jesus, but we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Goes on to say, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable today, Lord. As we look at these few verses of Scripture today, God, I pray that they become alive and well in our lives. They become relevant more than ever before. I pray we walk away from this place completely different than we've ever been. God, change our lives. Remind us where we've come from if we're Christ followers in this room. If we're not, remind us of where we're going if we're not Christ followers. God, I just pray that you open our eyes, peel the deadness off of our eyes today, and let, we, let us walk away from this place more energized, more encouraged, more empowered to do your work because you created us to do good works and we give you all the praise, 
all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. I've shared this illustration before, but it is worth repeating because it reminded me, I was reminded of this illustration on the flight home yesterday when I was coming back from Honduras. When I was, uh, a few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling with Dr. Platt, David Platt, down to Indonesia to teach. And we were there. To, he was doing the commencement exercises for the Jakarta Baptist Theological Seminary. He asked me to go along with him and teach some classes on reaching a culture, reaching a, a community, reaching the business business community, but most of the pastors are bivocational in Indonesia. And so he asked me to go with him. And I said, my goodness, Dr. Platt, I'd be honored to go, but I just don't think I can give him a whole lot. He said, man, come go with me. So I did. I went down there. And we, after we did all of that, we had the opportunity to do some touring of the country, to do some sightseeing. And we went to some of the, the, some of the, the known uh, artifactual places to go see. And while we were there, we uh, happened upon a a group of Indonesian college students. And so this is going to be great. We'll get in and get, and they saw that we did not look like them. They saw that we were not Indonesian. We did not look like them. And so they were fascinated. And so they began to engage in conversation with us. And so the door opened up and they were, most of them fluent in English, which was amazing. And so we, we op- the door was open for us to have gospel conversation. And so I was engaged with a couple of these 20-something-year-old college students in a gospel conversation. And, and as I was weaving the, the gospel all the way through the conversation, one of them was intrigued and said, I want to know more. The, I thought, well, my goodness, the spirit of the holy God has reached in and awakened this person, awakened this young man, and, and, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to lead him to faith in Christ. And so we got all the way through this, this conversation, and I I asked the question, do you understand what I'm saying? He says, I absolutely do. And I want Jesus. That was his exact words. I want Jesus. I said, great. I've been authorized by him as his ambassador to point you so that you might receive Jesus. And we do that by communicating with words to him. And I'm going to, since you've never done this before, if you don't mind, I would like to kind of guide you through these. And there are nothing more than words unless you mean them in your heart. And if you mean them, it will become a reality and you will receive Jesus. And I am telling you, I am beaming. Dr. Platten's beaming. We're just excited that this young man, about 20-something students in the crowd, started gathering around. And this young man He prayed or he articulated the words and then he says, that's great. I've got Jesus and Mohammed. I said, time out. Dr. Platt said, oh my goodness, this is going to be a long time. I said, no, no, no. You can't have one and the other. It's either or. He said, so you mean I can't put Jesus up on the mantle like I have Muhammad, and when I need him, I grab him? I said, that's not how it works. Folks, let me tell you something. If you're saved by his glorious grace, you have Jesus. If you do not, have not been saved by his glorious grace, first three verses of Ephesians chapter two, identify who you are. Dead to your trespasses and sin by nature, children, of wrath is what the Bible says. Boy, that's, that's tough words, isn't it? 
We should not preach or teach that way because that's harsh. Folks, the harsh reality is people that die spend eternity in a graveyard called hell. Folks, let me tell you, people that die without Jesus Christ are separated from his love for all of eternity. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul clarifies what it means to receive salvation as a part of God's body, the church. He describes the act of the process of salvation, the miracle that draws men into eternal plan portrayed in Ephesians chapter 1. In the context, this section of scripture on the thought of Jesus of uh, chapter 1 verse 19 where Paul introduces the great power of Christ toward us who believe and then digresses to the power of Christ's life he returns right now to chapter 2 and points us to the power of our salvation in Christ Jesus we were dead to our trespasses and sin but God being rich in mercy amen that ought to get a Baptist to shout hallelujah I'm just telling you, every time I read that text, and I can't tell you the number of times I've read that, read that text, every time, it excites me to know that God reached down from the halls of heaven and wooed me out of the sin of darkness and separation from his love. When we look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2, Paul presents the pres- past, present, and future of Christians. What he was what he is, and what he will be. And within this framework, it gives us, in this framework, gives us the aspect of salvation. It is from sin, by love, into life, with a purpose, through faith, unto good works for him. Now, let me say that again, because this is the framework of this text. It is it is from sin. You are saved from sin. Does it mean you're never going to sin again? No. Don't walk away from here saying, wow, I am never going to sin again. Well, you just sinned because you lied. We will all sin. We are sinners. Why? Because we were born sinners. We were born sinners. We didn't become sin. We are sin. We are born sinners. But this framework is, gives us the aspect of salvation is from sin. By love, because of Christ's great love for us, into life with him, with a purpose, through faith, it takes faith, stepping into faith, step by faith, you're saved by faith, it is the free gift of God, unto good works for him in chapter 2, verse 10. First of all, salvation is from sin. This characterizes life before Christ. So picture with me in your mind's eye for a second, we'll get to the outline in a minute, I know for some of these people just can't wait to fill in those blanks. But let me just kind of set the framework. Salvation from sin. I've been a Baptist 62, almost 63 years. Been a Baptist. I was born a Baptist. I was brought up in a Baptist church. I've never been anything else. That was my choice. My parents' choice. I never left the tribe. I like the tribe. I like being Southern Baptist. I have no problem with being that. I don't like all the things we do as Baptists, and I don't think all the, all, like all the things we do as a denomination, but by and large, I think it's a pretty good tribe. I'm glad to be a part of the Southern Baptist group, the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm thrilled to death about that, but that didn't save me. I was born a sinner separated from the love of God, even though my mom and dad were a, a devout followers of Christ. 
My dad a deacon of the church, and my mom was singing in the second soprano section of the choir. So I taught children's ministry, and I mean, they were involved in church. They drugged me to church. They took me to church. Thank God Ben brings Hunter every week to church. Why? Because Hunter can't stay by himself, first of all. Second of all, he needs to be in church because we got a phenomenal nursery, got a phenomenal children's program, helping him understand. Not, not that Ben and Julie's not going to give him what he needs, but I hate to say this, young Hunter was born in sin. Young Hunter is separated. Not, not because he's not, God doesn't love him. Don't get all wigged out about this and I'm calling young Hunter a sinner. He is. But he is a good sinner, amen, because <laughs> he's cute. But anyway, he's hung, young Hunter needs somebody to come along and share the good news with him. Now, fortunately, he's got a phenomenal group of uh, people in his life right now that are giving him his every need, taking care of his every need. They can't wait till he pulls his own pants up, amen? Laces his own shoes, brushes his own teeth when he gets teeth. They can't wait till all of that. But there's going to need somebody come along to point him to salvation from sin. Because Ephesians chapter 2 does not say that we are saved from sin when we get to a certain age. It says we are by nature children of wrath separated from God's love. Salvation is from sin, characterizes life before Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not my word, the Apostle Paul, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God in Paul's life, writing to the church at Rome, he says that we are all sinners separated, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Because man is born in sin, he's born to death. Man does not become spiritually dead because he sins. He is spiritually dead because of the nature of a sinful life that exists in his life. Man's basic problem, our basic problem is this, is that not being out of harmony with the heritage of God our problem is, or his environment, but it's being out of harmony with the creator of the universe. That's our problem. So we need somebody to come along and help us in that way. Come along and lace our shoes up, so to speak. Come along and help us walk. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the sins of the world. Died for my sins, died for Hunter's sins, died for Ben's sin, died for Julie's sin, died for Dean's sin, died for everyone's sin. Christ died for the sins of the world, amen? And we can't just put him up on the shelf and say, I got him there with Muhammad. He is the savior, the creator of the universe. A person is spiritually dead, has no life whatsoever in his life. He can only, cannot respond to spiritual things because he doesn't have spiritual things in his life to respond to until he confesses those sins, confesses his life. And when he confesses that life, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ and life begins anew for him. The Scottish commentator, John Eddy, says this, it is a case of dead walking, of the dead walking. Men apart from God are spiritual zombies. The walking dead. Now, 
I don't know where these people at Pineywood got it. Maybe they got it from the Scottish commentator, Dead Man Walking, in their television program. But we were dead men walking, separated from the love of God. The word trespass means to slip or to fall or stumble, deviate or going in a wrong direction. The word sin originally created the idea of missing the mark, missing as a hunter's bow and arrow, missing the mark. The idea is falling short of, meaning we fall short of God's glory because of that sin that's in our way. And verse four is the transition verse. It declares salvation from sin but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us salvation from sin by love God's mercy and rich because he was rich in mercy he had a great love for us he desires that not one perish not one his desire that all comes to salvation not one perish there's going to be the some that perish why because there's a hell And there's going to be some people that are going to go to hell because they choose to go to hell. Folks, let me tell you something. Salvation is for free. It is for everybody. John 3, 16 declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Now, even somebody from Alabama understands the word whosoever. That means anybody, everybody, whosoever may come to faith in Christ. We may have the gift of eternal life. Romans chapter 11, verse 32 said, God has shut up all in, in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. And his purpose in doing so is given to verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to be him glory forever. Amen. At Calvary's cross, Jesus Christ provided that this love and mercy. Not only did he love enough to forgive, but he also enough to die for the very ones who've offended him. Now gather in here close. Every one of us have offended somebody. I'm gonna shock you. I have offended somebody. Ben has, as sweet and kind as he is. He has. He didn't mean to. It just happens, you know? There, there's sometimes I, I offend some people, and I, sometimes I think, maybe I meant to do No, I didn't really do But we've all been offended, correct? All of us have. Jesus died on the cross for those who offended him. He died for the folks who, the man who had the hammer in his hand. The guy with the whip with the cat of nine tails that lashed him. The person who pushed those thorns of crown on his brow. He died for that vile and wicked person. Just like he died for this vile and wicked sinner called Dan Moran. What love is that? He died for the very ones who offended him the most. It pushes me to think in John chapter 15 where he says to those in that great vineyard passage, greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. What a great tie-in verse to understanding how much he loves us. Compassion, compassionate love for those who do not deserve makes salvation extremely possible now notice verse five even when we were dead to our transgressions made us alive together with him and then we go to verse six 
raised us up with him and seated him in the heavenly places. A great cross reference would be that story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. You remember the story of John chapter 11 of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, the sisters, and Lazarus, very righteous for their well, they were known for their righteousness, not for their wealthiness, not for their prestige in the community. Lazarus had been dead for four days and all of a sudden the word got to Jesus where he was four days away and said, your friend Lazarus is dead, but he says, I know he's dead, but we'll go to him. He said, no way, they tried to stone you there, Lord. He said, I know it, but I go awaken him. He said, well, no, 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 he's awakened. He'll, if he says to sleep, he'll wake up. He said, no, Lazarus is dead. And then he gets to the tomb where Lazarus was. In verse 44, he says these words, and he who had died, meaning Lazarus, came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face with the wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said unbind him new American standard says take off those grave clothes King James says and turn him loose brothers and sisters when we see that when this passage seating him with is the cross reference that in order that he's saying in order that I may raise you up raise you up, indicates that the purpose of our being exalted to the supreme, uh, supernatural sphere of God's power is that we may net forever be blessed in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. Listen to me. When we fall victim to sin, listen. When we act ungodly in order that he may show the surpassing riches of his grace. Now, that's not a license to sin. Here's what happens with a lot of people. They say, well, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance paid for, everything. My ticket's paid for. It's not punched yet. So I could just live the way I want to live. I'm not going to hell, so I, always, I might as well live like that. You know? That's some people want to think that way. Let me tell you something, folks. If you've got the mentality of living the way you want to live, acting the way you want to act in church, holding back your resources for kingdom work, you, you do all of those things, I want to ask you to check your salvation. Are you truly saved by his glorious grace? I want you to know for 11 years I was away from the Lord and I really came, when I came back, the first thing I said to the pastor, I'm not certain that I'm saved because I've lived like the devil. I've lived like the world. So we walked through and understood that in that moment when I was a junior in high school that I did come to salvation and faith in Christ. Folks, let me tell you something. I challenge you. Are you truly saved? Are you walking out of the grave clothes? Have you been resurrected from the graveyard of death? And in verse 8, in verse 9 says, our our response is salvation is faith. But even that is not of ourselves, but it is the free gift of God. Can't buy it, can't earn it, can't do enough good things, can't write enough checks to the church, can't do enough philanthropy opportunities, can't feed the orphans, can't clothe the, the, clothes, the clothesless, can't feed the hungry. We can't give enough food away to earn our way to salvation. It is a free gift. By the way, if you can't earn it, you can't lose it. Amen? There is a fashionable teaching out there that you can lose your salvation. If you could lose your salvation, therefore Christ must go to the cross every time you sin. He did it once 
for the world. So you cannot lose your salvation. If you're truly saved, you are truly saved. We act by faith, supplied by God's grace, and receive his marvelous free gift of everlasting. That pushes me to verse 10. It's forgotten. It's so forgotten. I have forgotten it. I've passed over it many a time myself. Although has no part in salvation, it does lead us to his calling and his lordship. Let me prove that quickly before I give you the outline, and I'm going to get the outline. We're going to go fast, so really buckle up. I want you to flip over to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. You remember when I first came here, shortly after, I preached a message series called The Vine out of this text, and I want you to just walk with me just for a second Notice what it says in this beautiful text. It's the same power that Christ created, that Christ Jesus empowers us to do good work, that he redeemed us. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I also have spoken to you. Abide in, my, in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and, and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Now, what I'm saying here, folks, this is the same translate, same text contextually. It ties together with Ephesians chapter two. You see, Christ Jesus redeems us. When he redeems us, he empowers us. These good works are expected because God has prepared beforehand. He has created us in Christ Jesus and prepared the good works beforehand. He has said, I have got a good work for you. I've already established that. I have strategically put it together. That is the master craftsman at work is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Folks, really, let me just summarize and then give you the outline. We're like a diamond that is in the rough. And they take that diamond and they chisel it away. Why are they chiseling away? They're trying to get away the stuff that makes, that makes the, to get to the clarity of the diamond. My mom was a sculptor and she told me she would take that piece of clay and she would carve it away because she envisioned that the clay was a blob, but she envisioned what she wanted to make, that pretty figurine, that she would chisel it away. Why? Because she wanted to get to the end results. That is exactly what we're talking about, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, for, prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. But his work will not cease until he has made us into his perfect image. So it doesn't just stop at salvation. Now, the message truth, buckle up, and the outline 
and will be finished. Because of Christ, believers have been taken out of the great graveyard of sin and placed into the throne room of glory. The sinner that has trusted Christ has been raised from spiritual deadness and made alive for all of eternity. I don't know about you, but that is an amazing miracle, is it not? That is an amazing miracle that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago gave his life for our sins, but made us alive together. So there are four specific works in this passage today, and I draw your attention to your outline. Sin worked against us. Chapter two, verses one and three. He's dead, he is disobedient. The world, the devil, the flesh, all three forces encourage man in his disobedience. Now, folks, that didn't just happen in the book of Ephesians. That happened way back, Genesis chapter 2. You know what happened, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 was the fruit. Woman got us in trouble. But man was weak. Amen? Can I get an amen, sisters? Thank you, ladies. I just want to make sure you men realize that you were weak. I was weak. If I'd have been there, I'd have been eating that fruit too. Amen? Sin worked against us. We are dead. We are disobedient. We are deprived. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, look what it says. Among them, we too all formerly lived. All formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulged in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were doomed. Sin doomed us. Before Christ, we had nothing. We had maybe glitz and glitter, had the world at our beck and call, but we really had nothing. We were headed to hell. But if you're saved by his glorious grace today, you are not doomed any longer. But these first three verses remind us that sin worked against us. We were dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. Secondly, God's work for us. When you look at these specific works, look what it says in chapter four, I mean, chapter two, verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, which he loved us, even when we were dead to our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He loved us, he quickened us, he made us alive, so to speak. He quickened us. He raised us from the dead. He exalted us for eternal life. And he keeps us. Salvation is a free gift and it is forever. I am so glad. I am so glad that our wonderful, great God knew that we needed salvation forever. That we couldn't just have it and then lose it and have it and lose it because we couldn't do enough good things to earn it anyway. And if I mess up, when am I lose my salvation? I'm going to gather you in here a little bit closer and give you a personal story about my wife. I asked her this morning early if I could share this about her testimony. She's the best Christian I know on the planet. I know y'all are some good Christians out there, good Christians out there. 
But y'all don't hold a candle to this woman. She's just amazing. She is just, she's one of those Christians that got saved and has never gotten over it. Never. Just never gotten over it. Now, she's not perfect, although she will tell me how perfect she is. No, she does not say that. She's not perfect. She has sin in her life. She has things going on that she's trying to work on, and she confesses those things. I tell her, don't confess them to me. I, can't, I don't have the power to do anything about them. Just bake those cookies, baby. We'll be fine. But my wife is an amazing Christian. Now, she struggled with her salvation. She was, we were married two years before she got saved. I thought she was a believer because she was such a great person. She was just one of those good people. And she came out of another denominational belief, uh, another, another denominational church background. It had really no strong gospel preaching in it whatsoever. She'd never really heard the gospel. She'd never really heard an evangelistic approach to understanding salvation. She'd never really heard expositional preaching until we joined a Central Baptist Church in Decatur, Alabama. And she, when she said, are you, are you Christian? She said, yeah, she checked it. And then she started really hearing the gospel. And when she started hearing the gospel, her light clicked on. And she just was struggling with it. And I said, well, why are you struggling with it, babe? She said, because I just don't know why God would save me. I just don't understand why he would want to save me. I have nothing to give back. I, I, just, I just don't think I could earn that. I said, well, baby, based on my understanding, and we could talk to preacher about it, but I, I, I think it says that it's free. You can't earn it. And so when pastor sat down with her and I was in the room, he said, Miss Debbie, all, all you got to understand is picture your father, your earthly father. And she said, well, maybe that's the problem because I never could, felt like I could earn his love. My wife had a poor image of her earthly father early on. It got better in their life. But early on, she never felt like she measured up. Debbie's the baby of seven in her family. She, she just never felt like she measured up. And Mike Dawson, Pastor Mike, our pastor at that time, he's retired. He said, you know, he said, uh, Miss Debbie, that's it. You have, are looking at your earthly father and you're correlating that with your heavenly father. Guys, let me tell you something. We've been put here not just to make the money and mow the lawn. We have been here to be the example for our kids. We've been here the example and the leader for our families. God put us the head of the household. Why? Because not with a ruler, but Christ is head of the church. And we're to follow his example. And so my wife had a poor image of her earthly father, so therefore she had a poor image of meeting up to the standard of a heavenly father. Maybe you're like Debbie in this room today, and you have not ever realized and how important that you're walking around with the grave clothes of trying to measure up. You can't measure up because God loved you the way you are, just like you are. That's God work for us he loves us he quickened us he exalted us and he keeps us salvation is a free gift for all of eternity if you'll read verses four through nine you will notice that so beautifully for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works that no one should boast and then moves on to God's work in us so sin works against us God worked for us. God works in us. 
And this is where it gets good. Our salvation is not an end into itself, but a rather a beginning to expressing our salvation. God work through us. He works through us in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Notice what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We are not saved by God for, by God's works, but we are saved unto God's works. We are saved unto God's works. Then the question begs, are you truly saved by his grace? If you're truly saved by his grace, are, is God working in you, shaping you, quickening you, molding you? And if he is, then are you letting him work through you? Letting your light shine before men so that they may see your good works of the Father may be glorified in heaven. We are saved by his grace for his good works.